Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we are talking about Lover's Walk, but before we get into that, just a couple of things. First thing is, again, this is spoiler-free, so we will not be spoiling anything of Buffy other than what we have already covered here on the podcast. And the second thing is we actually have two guests with us here today. We have Chrissy and Leah. Leah was with us last week. Chrissy, this is her first time with us. And before we jump into the episode, Chrissy, do you want to tell us just briefly why you wanted to talk about Lover's Walk? Okay, hi. Um, I wanted to talk about Lover's Walk because it's like one of my favorite episodes. Um, it makes me happy, but it also at the same time and makes me angry. So I just, I just, I really like it. I don't know. As it's every fine. good Buffy episode should make you a little yes. bit angry and a little bit happy. Lots of emotions in this episode. A lots. Well, we're really excited to have you guys with us and. This episode, I feel like, is one that I feel like is a fan favorite, but it's also one that I feel like doesn't get talked about as much as it should because I think that there's just some incredibly foundational things to the rest of the series and the season. Um, So I'm excited to talk about it. But we have a lot to talk about this week, so I'm just going to jump right in and then we'll get going. So Lover's Walk was written by Dan Weber directed by David Semmel, and it aired November 24th, 1998. And I'm just going to give you guys a warning. I have a couple of quotes here that are kind of long, but I think they're really interesting. Um, So contrary to popular belief, the title of the episode actually does not have an apostrophe in it. Every time I've seen it written, it's lover apostrophe S, walk. It's actually just lover's walk. And I think that makes a huge difference in how you interpret the title because it's literally just the lovers lovers walk away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the lovers walk away instead of it being lover's Mm -hmm. walk as in possessive, which I think is Uh like kind of changes the way you think about it. The episode was nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Sound Editing in a Series, which I didn't know, which ah, – it's like one of those things where this the show was nominated for so many freaking Emmys and then like only won one, and I just don't understand that at all. But um, Dan Weber is best known for writing for The Simpsons, Futurama, and American Dad. He was a staff writer for season three only as his contract was not renewed for season four. And here's a couple of quotes from him. He says, I was a huge fan of Buffy. It was my first staff writing job. I had been at The Onion previous to that. Moved out to LA, so my background was really in comedy. He wrote a spec script that got to Joss and ended up having a meeting with him. And then he says, at the time, I was just very good at capturing these characters' voices, which speaks more to my ability to write comedy than my ability to write drama. I remember it being pretty tense on set, but because I had so little experience working on live-action shows, I don't know how much of that is normal and how much was unique to that show. I didn't get the sense that a lot of rewriting was being done on set, which this is from the book Slayers and Vampires. And I think it's really interesting because there's a couple quotes in here where you could tell people are trying very hard to like be um, diplomatic in what they're saying and to not speak too poorly about Joss. But every once in a while, you can kind of read between the lines and you can kind of get a sense of what they were saying. Um, 
And then, okay, so then he goes on and he talks about how Joss would come in and tell him the arc for the season and to be assigned his episodes and how everything was already figured out by Joss. So there was very little leeway with the episode ideas because they had to fit everything into the arc. So he'd say, okay, this is what we have for this idea for this episode. Now, like, go write a script about it, but it has to fit into this arc within the series. And so he was talking about how it was very hard for him to come up with creative ideas all on his own because he was kind of shoehorned into this very like small little place that he had to like navigate around. So he says, Buffy was not a very collaborative show, at least not for me. It was very much Joss's show. So that was my first experience with the idea of a showrunner who pretty much will do a page one rewrite of your draft. I'm always reluctant to talk about my experience on the show because people will compliment me about the episodes that I wrote. For the most part, the things that they were so impressed with are purely 100% Joss and not me. And I don't want to take credit for it. It was Joss's show for better or for worse. And for the most part, it was definitely for better. I still think it's the best thing that Joss has done. So he said he would go, here's what our story is. Here's what our outline is at a whiteboard. And then he'd say, go write it. Then you would go, you would write it, and then he would rewrite it. He would take snippets of my dialogue, which was always nice because, you know, in theory, that's why he hired me because I got these characters. I could talk in their voices. But when you look at an episode like Lover's Walk, everyone always points to that great speech that Spike gives about the nature of love and stuff. And I can't take credit for any of that. I wrote a version of that, but the version that's in the show is 100% Joss's doing, which he did, dot, 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 in his rewrite right. So I have my interpretation of that quote. What are your guys' thoughts when you hear something like that? Obviously, given the context of what we know about Joss Whedon now. Um, I think it's hard because it's like, on one hand, I applaud the fact that Joss is so involved and that he really took care with Buffy because I think because he did, it really shows. Um, You can really see it in the show just how much care and love is put into each like episode and character and all of that and so I'm glad that he takes that much care but on the other hand it's also just like that has to be so frustrating as a writer to go in there and you're given such a strict prompt and then you try and do it as well as to your ability and just to have someone kind of bulldoze over you like that has to be really frustrating. Yeah, I agree. I and I I feel the same as you, Leah. I feel I've mixed feelings because for me personally, I feel like the show is at its peak when Joss is at the helm, when Joss is like, hey, this is my vision. This is where we're going. It it the story is cohesive because there's one voice behind it. Versus when you end up having multiple showrunners or writers or producers have their hands in it. Um but I think it is a little frustrating to hire a writer and then say, whoa, this is a really good idea. I'm going to rewrite what you wrote, but I'm going to take your idea. And I don't know enough about behind the scenes. Like, I know obviously that's not illegal. That's not, I don't think, unethical because technically he's the showrunner and he hired these guys to write. But it, like, it still, I would imagine, get, I would imagine it gives you a bad taste in your mouth as someone who's spent all this time writing to be like, you're not even going to like use it. And then every time people compliment you on the episode that you wrote, have to say, oh, I didn't actually write that. Yeah. I think just in any workplace, like knowing what we know now, 
I just feel like it's just, it, that's an example of like what a toxic workplace would look like, like just, just in general. And I'm not like familiar with how the behind the scenes of like a TV show works or any of that, but yeah, like, just like what you said, Sarah, like, it's just, it's frustrating being given all of these like restrictions and then you like do do work that fits within that and then you give it off to your boss and then your boss just takes everything he wants to take and then leaves the rest I don't know yeah that's yeah that's uh not that great (laughs) I feel like as a writer too that would like mess with your confidence a little like in your writing ability, if someone told you, like you said, told you to do it and then they like are nitpicking everything and then change it all together. I feel like that would kind of mess with your confidence. I think it's like, thanks for the idea. Um, I'm going to take what you were going with, but then I'm going to make it better because like, that's what I want to do. That's what it kind of screams to me. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard. I have mixed feelings. Cause like, as we progress further into the series, you know, it, I feel like Joss doesn't become as hands-on, and I think the series kind of suffers a little bit because of that. So it's kind of like on the one hand, as the recipient of the finished product, I go, wow, this seems so great. But then I'm sure behind the scenes, it's like, well, why did you hire me? Like, what what's my reason for even being here? I think it's just the way things are, like, handled. It's the way he goes about doing things his own way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with Joss wanting to take – take the reins and do everything himself because like you guys said it like it shows through the show that when he's when he's at the helm it's it's literally like 10 out of 10 it's perfect um I think it's just it just speaks to like the work environment that they were all working in where it was just the the way he was going about things was just not very that's not very professional I don't think so like he does – he goes on. He talks about how um, they were stuck on the outline with the idea that Xander and Willow were trapped in the basement and the Scoobies had to find a way to get there. Um, and then he says that it was his idea to come up with the point that, hey, Oz is a werewolf, so maybe like he can sniff Willow out and that was his idea. And he says, I think they ended up using that in other episodes as well. So that was a contribution of mine. He literally has to go and point out all the parts that are his contribution to this script that he wrote. Like – I just, I know I felt so bad from all these like quotes I was reading. I was like, because in each of them, you could tell like he's not trying, it almost feels like he's not blaming Joss. In some of them, he's even blaming himself. Like at the very end, he he talks about how like Joss is a terrific guy. He said some really nice words to me later. And he goes, ultimately, I'm just not good at writing drama scripts. I'm better at comedy. And I'm like, I wonder if that's true or if like Joss, like he thinks that's why Joss ended up not renewing his contract at the end of the year. Like, I don't know. And then he talks about too how um, it was very hard. He said some days he would come to work and there'd be literally nothing for him to do. And Joss would be over there running around like a crazy man doing rewrites. And he was like, if you delegated a little bit more. Yeah, I don't like that part. That doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. There's a, yeah. And there's a couple of things. And I mean, he's again, very gracious, but it sounds like his expectations were here and Joss's expectations were somewhere else at the very, at the very least. From what we know, there's probably some toxic work environment going on in the background. Sounds like narcissistic (laughs) behavior to me. That's what it screams. Narcissism. (laughs) Yeah. And it could very well be, but. 
I don't know. I'm, I'm like trying to troubleshoot in my mind. Like, how would you fix this? I don't know. But it's just, it's very sad. Like, I was reading through all these quotes and I was like coming across like this underlying tone. And it just, it made me very sad because this is a phenomenal idea. It's a great episode. And it's just a shame that he didn't get more credit for what he actually did, you know? So, okay. Question What do you guys think the themes of this episode are? I think I feel like one of the themes is like friend zone because like you see Willow and uh, Xander kind of like mostly Willow trying to like friend zone him a little bit. And then you see Buffy and Angel as well trying to like try and find that friend balance where everyone's mm. trying to be friends. Whereas like Spike and Drew, they kind of know where they are. They're not in a friend. Well, she does tell them they could be friends. You know? She friends but, that Spike. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she friends zones him. I feel yeah. like you, this is when you just cue The Heart Wants What It Wants by Selena Gomez. I feel like that's just what the theme of the whole episode is. <laughs> I was just going to say, I would say like a theme would be like denial, like like being in denial about the situations that you're in. Spike is in denial about Drew. Angel and Buffy are in denial about the nature of their relationship. Willow and Xander are trying to hide their whatever they're doing and then eventually at the very end everyone everything is revealed so it's working through the denial i mean everyone i mean i agree with everyone i was just gonna say this episode just kind of really reminds me of passion only Mm. for the pure like pure idea of the word passion not the actual episode because they're very different um but i love how the episode passion talks about how like passion rules us and it's like kind of what motivates us and all this stuff and i feel like this episode really kind of plays into that of like, yeah, okay, as much as we try to avoid it, like, you know, our passion for the person that we're like in love with is not something that just goes away. Like it's there and it can dictate and rule a lot of your actions. And it's not something that you can just be like, let's be friends. Like, um, and I think it shows that in Spike, it shows that in um, Buffy and Angel. And I think, I mean, I can be wrong in this but i feel like it shows the lack of passion in willow and sander because there's a disconnect Mm. Um, a huge thing for me a huge theme the whole episode that i noticed is just that love can hurt and love does hurt and you said in every single relationship or inner relationship or triad of relationship in this episode every every one of them faces pain and love some more so than others some of them that are caused some of it physical pain as well. So I saw the themes of um, the fragility and complexity of relationships, but also the continuation from the theme of revelations, which was the importance of integrity and honesty. Because we talk about how revelations is very much all about Buffy not being honest to all the people in her lives, um, or in her life, she has one life, um, and just that the idea that. As a slayer, she has a responsibility, and as a leader, she has a responsibility, and she's kind of even ignoring those responsibilities in light of choosing to be with Angel at times. And so in this one, it's very much kind of like a call to all of the Scoobies, and in general, I won't say Spike because he's so soulless vampire, but the idea of like the importance of being in, uh, honest. And also I think too, being honest and having integrity is hard. It's very hard and it's a lot easier to give into our passions. It's a lot easier to like just do what we feel like doing in the moment instead of going, okay, what is important? What do I need to do? And I think that's just really important. 
It's also interesting to note that Spike doesn't actually cause any of the damage in this episode, which I thought was really, really interesting. He just kind of brings everything to light. I mean, damage is obviously he takes Willow captive, Willow and Xander. But what I mean is he isn't he isn't the source of all of the emotional turmoil that happens at the end of this episode. He just kind of brings to light all the damage that is happening in the shadows, which I thought was really interesting because I'm like, I see Spike as the villain of this episode. And then I was like, wait a minute, like Spike's not actually the villain, the real villain of this episode. It's everybody who is being dishonest and allowing their passions to rule them. And his appearance at Buffy's house causes Joyce to discover that Angel is back and Buffy hasn't been telling Joyce about him. And she also finds out that Willow's a witch too. Oh, you're right. Yeah, Joyce is fine. (laughs) Always the last to know. So true. Yes. (laughs) She's finding out all the tea. She is, you're right. (laughs) She was like, wait, what? What's happening? Why is why is Spike not or uh, yeah, why are you after Spike and why is Angel allowed in the house? I'm like, come on. Right. Because she's like, Willow's a witch, and then he's like, and Xander's and Xander's a witch too. (laughs) Like (laughs) that's right. I'm like come on, Buffy. It's time to let Joyce in the loop here. At this point, like her life is yes. at stake, you know, like time to time to clue her in a little bit. All right, Tabs, back to you. That's all I have for the intro of the episode. Oh, what a long-winded introduction. <laughs> all right, guys, we're done. Rude. <laughs> Rude. Uh, okay. <laughs> all right, Lover's Walk, season three, episode eight. So this episode is going to be really boring because there's not much to talk about. Um, so I apologize to all the <laughs> listeners. It's kind of a dull episode. Um, this conversation, I would just like to say that I'm so proud of Buffy. We found out in this opening scene that she gets a 1430 on her SATs. I'm so proud of Cordelia too mm-hmm. because I love mm-hmm. how this show prides itself on subversion and the fact that they gave the cheerleader – a high score and make her proud of it, make her own yep. it and like show that she's smart. I'm like, yes, thank you. You're finally telling us what we've known this entire time. It's just, it's great. I think it's a little frustrating because then you see this and you're like, we all know that Cordelia is like this, but then sometimes they write that it's kind of like Joey moments from friends where you're like, come on. Like no one's this stupid. You know what I mean? And I'm a, I'm a yeah. friends like fan. Like I love friends, but sometimes I'm like, guys, Joey's so flat of a character sometimes just because you write him so stupid and no one's as stupid. Like, come on. Um, And sometimes I feel like they give those moments to Cordelia, even though us as an audience knows she's not like that. So it's even more frustrating. Well, and I think a lot of it too is that also Cordelia likes to hide her intelligence. Mm. And so it's like you also could argue the fact that Cordelia purposely doesn't show her intelligence. Yeah. Well, I mean, she says that here too. She's like, Everyone can't know. And then that interaction is just so sweet. Of course, everything's just amazing right before it all just ends. Okay. Watching this made me so mad because I'm like, we don't see this between them. And of course, they show it the episode or actually and and in Homecoming. All of a sudden, she has this epiphany moment where she loves him. I'm like, why don't we see this beforehand? It's so frustrating. Yeah, it feels like they're setting us up so they can tear us down and, like, you, you can see it coming. Yep. Um, and then, like, Willow gets all excited and then he ha- she hands, like, Oz her paper. He's like, well, I can see why you'd be upset. That was my sarcastic <laughs> voice. <laughs> Oz, you're about to get your heart broken. My gosh, SMG 
we all know how much we all love her and how much I love her and how great of an actor she is. But like her face is very much like, I don't really know what to feel. Like, do I have a future? Am I, am I allowed to allow myself to think of myself in this situation? Yeah. I mean, and I put myself in her shoes for a minute. I was like, oh yeah. Like everyone keeps telling her, even Giles and and Joyce, like you don't have a future. You don't have a future. And all of a sudden everyone's telling her, Mm -hmm. no, I think you should go away. And she's going, wait, but what? Like, why Why are you suddenly all changing your minds now that, oh, I'm supposedly smart? Was my my future and my my um, maybe my possible career and my academia not worth it if I wasn't able to get into a prestigious school? Like, I would be questioning my own worth at this point, too. And then we have this great cutscene. There's like a few really clever cutscenes in this episode. And this is like the first one where Cordelia is like, what morn would, would come back to Sunnydale? And then here comes Spike <laughs> trailblazing his way into the episode. Speak of the devil. They, they really know how to make an entrance, but especially with Spike's character, they just, they nail it every time. Every time Spike comes in, like, no matter how many times I've seen the show, I'm just like, yeah, like he's back. It doesn't help that it's like the same entrance each time. It's just like it's slightly different variations to it, which I'm here for. So he runs into the Sunnydale sign, which is this is his second time. Instead of stepping out, this man flops to the ground, completely drunk, and is like, "Home sweet home." <laughs> and then we have this whole like humor scene. I will say James Marsters does such a good job flipping between like being desperately in love and like like not knowing what to do and then just showing anger and just doesn't know how to handle it. I wanted to read this quote from James Marsters real fast. <laughs> I feel like you guys are going to hate it. Okay, so <laughs> he says, I remember getting off the show after the second season and the character was done with at that point. There was no plans to have him back. I remember thinking over the summer break, try to do the show without me now. Never, never succeed without me now that you've tasted it. Now that you've bit into the mountaintop, you won't be able to help yourself. And of course, Joss made up the character Faith. I remember watching a couple of episodes with Faith and then being like, God, he can do it without me. No problem. He doesn't need me at all. (laughs) I feel like James Marsters is every bit as dramatic as Spike. I think he's playing it up a little that bit. That was so detailed and poetic. <laughs> Just so oh, much oh. drama. I know. So oh, much yes. drama. This like his emotions in this episode are just like a roller coaster. <laughs> like one minute he's like <laughs> crying, the next he's angry, and then he's like mad, and then I'm just like, Ugh. I think I I like it though. It's really complex because it's showing him just having a hard time, like separating like love to him and then just toxicity. He doesn't have a soul, so he's torn between like, oh, I love Drusilla, but having pure love is a human thing, right? It's someone with a soul. So he can't love purely. So I like that they switched him back and forth between being like, oh, I love her, but it's an obsession. So he's like looking yes. at like the the doll and he's like obsessing yeah. over the doll because it symbolizes what she is. And then he smashes the doll and then he sobs. And it's the scene yeah. is really funny to watch. 
So we know that they tore the factory set down after Passion because um, I remember reading the quote and everything, how they took the that set and then made it into the mansion set. So this shot of the table is very strategic because you see the broken chairs and then like pipes, but you see it from above. So they actually probably just could have shoved this into any room and you wouldn't really actually know which room it is. Um, but it's also really significant that they had Spike go, go back to the factory, not just because that's where he and Drew were happiest before Angelus showed up, but also because it's the last time we saw it was in Passion. I think it's a subtle and physical reminder of why Buffy and Angel can't be together because what like it's still kind of charred from when Giles came in so angry when Jenny died, and I think that's like really powerful. So we find out in the scene that Drusilla left him. Oh, poor Spikey. I'm just kidding. In the words of Xander, oh, gee, we really hope those crazy kids would Honestly, though, I feel him. When he said that, I was like, yeah, actually, I kind of like that <laughs> dynamic. <laughs> crazy recognizes crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Twin flames. Yes. <laughs> Someone's been listening to way too much Taylor Swift this hey, week. Hey, <laughs> I, I thought you would catch that. Yeah, I've been uh, waking myself up with a 10-minute version of All Too Well every morning. So. The Twin Flame Bruise. And my car started <laughs> work. <laughs> and then we have this interesting interaction in the hallway of school. Um, we see that Xander is trying to convince Cordy to go bowling with Oz and Willow, which why would you try to convince your girlfriend to go on a double date with the girl mm-hmm. you're cheating with and her boyfriend? Because I don't Xander Harris is trash. He is. I'm sorry, but like you do not. Nope. You don't. You don't do that. I think. No, I mean, I agree. I think in Xander's own twisted way, him and Will are trying to convince themselves that they can be friends and act Hmm. in a friendly manner. familiar. And so that's why they're going like on a double date because they're like, oh, our, our, like our significant others will be there. Like it'll be purely friends and stuff. And so I think that they're trying to like get back to like a normal level of friendship. But it's still – it's so gross. It is so gross to like go and like manipulate your significant other into a situation where they look yeah. like an idiot. It's also frustrating because we've talked about this. But like in all the episodes that this has happened with the exception of like homecoming – where there was like him and Willow where the dance and were like super guilty about it all. He's been slightly guilty, but he's mostly just kind of carried on like mm-hmm. things are normal. There hasn't been any real like obvious remorse for anything versus Willow is like, oh my gosh. Like, and I'm, and I'm not trying to excuse what Willow's doing because obviously Willow is just as guilty as Xander, but at least Willow feels bad about it. And she's the one that keeps like pumping the brakes on all of this. It seems like yeah. Xander's the one that's like, not stopping unless Willow tells exactly. him. Because I don't think Xander loves Cordelia. Mm-mm. I think that's why. Yeah, but still, like, that's – it's still – like No, for sure. I'm just saying move, that, like, you know? like, like, it's easier for you to not really think about it if you're not – first of all, he's not empathetic. Even though he mm-hmm. can he can observe it, but that doesn't mean he can be empathetic and feel it. 
That's how I always view Xander. Because, like, I think he knows what, obviously, he knows what he's doing is wrong. Because, Mm -hmm. like, when him and Willow are, like, sitting there talking about their scores, and then Oz and Cordy come up behind them, and he, like, immediately, like, separates himself from her. And he's like, oh, I was just comforting Willow, you know? Like, I think he knows what he's doing is wrong, but I don't really think he cares. Like, that's just how I view it. Like, I don't think he cares. I feel like he is in the mindset, like, if I get caught, I get caught. Because even, like, when they're talking outside of their the uh, him and Willow are talking outside of the school um, and they're talking about the bowling scene. I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but, and he's like, Oh, I just want to like nibble your earlobe or something like that. Like that's out in public. Like that's, yeah, that's out there. So that's what why the like, that's where I'm coming from. Like, I don't really think he cares if he gets caught. Cause I don't think like mm-hmm. we said, like, I don't think he really loves Cordy the way he should. He doesn't deserve her. Yeah, that scene makes me so mad because I'm like, okay, Cordelia cares a lot about what other people see of her. So if someone else sees her boyfriend, like not only does that hurt her on a personal level, but it hurts her on like the social exactly. status level. And I think that like, yeah, he's just not thinking Especially with someone yeah. like, I love Willow to death, but especially with uh, someone I mean, like Willow. he's thinking with something. Yeah, <laughs> thinking with his head for sure, Leah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. just the wrong one. Yeah. <laughs> Oh I really feel like I don't need to explain that one. <laughs> I'm going to have to check the not for kids section of the <laughs> podcast for this one. <laughs> Anyone who's watching Buffy should not be a child. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Ugh. So this made me so effing sad. The locker pictures. Can yeah. we just talk oh about my that? Gosh. Just twist the knife. Twist the knife. I feel like that was like Cordelia's way of like, like that's her like ultimately showing like I love Xander. I am with him. Like that was like her outward expression, you know, to the school that she's with Xander. Because people notice locker pictures, Mm -hmm. but you don't put those up there to hide them. You swing it open, you know, like people see that. Did you guys um, see – what the pictures were of, like, I mean, obviously it's, you know, Cordelia and Xander, but do you like Oz see and the details Willow of them? Too. There's one of Oz and Willow in there. And then there's one picture of Cordelia and Xander and Cordelia's on his back, mm-hmm. but like they're framed kind of to the side of the picture and Willow's standing behind <gasps> them, yeah. smiling in, she's in focus, in shot of the photo. And I was like, well, that was intentional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then we have mm-hmm. this. Fez that Oz gives Willow. And this one hurts, guys. This one hurts. She goes, this is so thoughtful. And he's like, well, I think about you. And she's like, I don't have anything to give you. And he's like, yes, you do. Well, she's like, what's the occasion? And he's like, pretty much you Mm -hmm. are. What? Like, how? okay, it's like you're you're dating like – like literally a a man out of a fantasy novel. Like he's just everything. And you're settling for Xander. Not to be dramatic, but I would literally bite off my left arm to marry Oz. <laughs> like just he is literally perfect. And then Xander is literally the epitome of like a middle school boy. Like really, it's embarrassing. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, it is. I, I don't care how long you've been in love with Xander for Willow. Come on, girl. Like, ugh. And and like, okay, to give her a little bit of credit, she does feel guilty. That's what like, okay, I need to do something about this. But still, I just don't understand it. I don't understand it. So then in the library, this scene is so significant in terms of Giles's character growth. Do you guys remember season one where Giles is all like, um, absolutely no dates, no nothing. Like the only thing you are allowed to do is literally just slay in school. And here he is telling her like, hey, you should think about your future. I feel like this is 
absolutely huge for Giles. And I don't think his growth in these three seasons gets talked about enough. I think it's because he's also seen her fight a ton and like work really hard now. He's seen her work through stuff and he has more of a respect for her. So he's able to come at it from this perspective, which I appreciate. See, I feel like I see it more so as the first season is Giles kind of reworking of what it means to be a watcher. He's been taught all these things by the Watcher's Council and all that. And he knows logically what it looks like. It's just like it's the difference between like head knowledge and like what's the phrase like heart knowledge or some, something like that. Like practical yeah, knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like he's kind of thrown into this environment where he has all this head knowledge and you see that kind of butting of heads in season one where Buffy is all instinct and Giles is all by the book and they really butt heads. And I think that you really are seeing by season three, Giles doesn't view Buffy as just a slayer anymore. He views yeah. Buffy as Buffy. Yeah. And I think that that's the difference is that he's like, he believes in her and he hopes in her future and all that. And so he's like, yeah, of course I want you to have a future and a life and all this stuff. Um, and I just think ultimately like he believes in her. He really, like he thinks she's yeah. going to survive. He thinks that she's going to live past other slayers and like have a good life. And I think that he wants to set her up for that. I think it's also significant too because, I mean, the last episode – was revelations where, you know, they were kind of not at super great terms basically because Buffy had kept Angel as a secret. And I think the fact that he's still trusting her, especially with this next um, bit of dialogue where he's like, are you planning to see Angel? And he's like, I trust you. Um, and then she's like, this is another really intelligent cutscene. She's like, nothing's going to happen. And then we cut to the outside of the school and Willow's like, something's going to happen. Oh, my gosh. And then this, yeah. this scene, we all know because it makes me really mad and Xander's awful and and all that. I think the biggest takeaway <laughs> is just the fact that they're out in the open he now. He strokes her like hair. They're just beginning in really public. sloppy. They're just not even trying. They're just not even trying. <laughs> the script does say that Willow holds up the Pez like a talisman. <laughs> Xander, I wish I wasn't so attracted to you. I wish we could just make it stop. And all the Buffy fandom said, amen. <laughs> or ew. Yes. That's what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking amen. I was thinking ew. <laughs> But also, too, Xander's acting as if they're completely helpless here in this situation. And that is something I'm very frustrated with and I think that kind of gets alluded to in this episode that like, oh, we're we're slaves to our passion. There's absolutely nothing we can do to stop this. And it's like, no, 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 no. Now you're absolving yourself of all responsibility here. You guys are absolutely responsible for what's happening, even though you may not be able to control who you – care about and how you feel. You can control what you do with your body and you can control like how often you're going to see this person and stop yourself from hanging out with them alone one-on-one -on -one, when you know that you have those feelings for them. Or break up with your boyfriend. Yes, break up with them. It's important to note, we really are not seeing Xander try to stop anything at all. Like, yeah, exactly. the only one I've really seen pull away or mention how much they hate things or how they should stop is Willow. Like, Xander yeah. is a huge initiator in a lot of these things and shows very little remorse, if at all. So, and then we cut to the kitchen and Joyce is talking about Buffy going to a normal school. She's kind of bringing it up like, and I feel like I can understand where Buffy's coming from because she's just very confused. She's like, why has been wanting to like ship me off when everyone's been telling me how much like this is a big deal and for me to stop being a slayer or from Giles' perspective mm -hmm. to be more of a slayer? I don't know. I feel like this would be so confusing too because it's like – 
you guys are giving me mixed signals. These two adult figures mm-hmm. in my life have been so strong in their opinions about who I am. Well, the script also says, Buffy says, couldn't we do this another time? This whole day, everyone's like, congratulations, go away. I think there's a part of Buffy that's like, her identity has become so wrapped up in being the slayer that she's like, well, if I stop being the slayer and actually do embrace this whole normal life, do people want me around? And I think that's kind of an interesting perspective. Also, Joyce being like, you like history, right? And I'm like, okay, Joyce, like, what is the one class that Buffy has been struggling with since season one? And I also thought it was kind of funny because Angel was the one tutoring her, in quotations, in history in season one. I was like, yeah, she likes history, not the kind of history you're thinking about, though. (laughs) 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 Thanks. I feel so validated right Sarah's now. Sarah's <laughs> going to want to replace me with you, Chrissy. Man. I know. I'll say jokes all the time or whatever. And the girls are just like deadpan. I'm like, well, anyway, lovely. And Sarah's like, all right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Chrissy's like, I too like history. <laughs> oh, I do. You know me. I'm a big uh, angel enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> and this I is. The third time they have such an intentional cutscene. She's like, Will you have anything keeping you here? And then cute little angel reading a book in his mansion. Okay, okay, okay. So here's the book that he's reading. Guys, this is how intentional the writers are. So they put it in the script that he's supposed to read this book. This wasn't just like some set person, some prop person being like, all right, here, read this book. Like this is an intentional choice. So the book is by Jean-Paul Sartre. He is a, a existentialist philosopher, and the book is Nausea, and it's a philosophical novel. Existentialism, just in case you guys need a refresher, because I did. Existentialism is a form of philosophical inquiry that explores the problem of human existence and centers on the experience of thinking, feeling, and acting. In the view of the existentialist, the individual starting point has been called, in quotations, the existentialist angst, a sense of dread, disorientation, confusion, or anxiety in the face of an apparently meaningless or absurd world. Existentialist thinkers frequently explore issues related to the meaning, purpose, and value of human existence. So all things philosophical on Buffy has this to say about it. It says, uh, so nausea is the reaction of Sartre's protagonist, Antoine, to his life, his environment, and the human predicament as Sartre sees it. That life is meaningless. In the novel, Roquentin lifts away the preconceived worldviews that others around him hold and faces this fact dead on. According to Sartre, realizing that life is meaningless is supposed to supply an individual with freedom. If there is no meaning and purpose, there are no constraints. Angel's reading of Le Nausee represents his struggle to come to terms with what, if anything, his return to the earthly realm is supposed to mean. So in the book, the protagonist has no friends and is out of touch with his family and often resigns himself to eavesdropping on other people's conversations and examining their actions from a distance. He ends up settling in a seaport town and the English woman who is his lover, it says after Anton arranges to meet with her, hoping it will make his condition better, she makes it clear to him that she has changed a considerable amount and must get on with her life. The book basically represents 
themes of time, free will, and responsibility for one's actions. And that's kind of the theme of this episode is taking responsibility and having integrity. But also from Angel's perspective, he's going, okay, am I responsible for my actions when I was Angelus? What should my motivations be moving forward? How do I come to terms with my life? Can it be meaningful? Um, And then he's probably also wrestling with who brought me back to earth because we still don't know like how that happened. So I think it's just – it's very, very interesting that he's wrestling with all of these questions and you don't know that unless you read – like you look at the book. But if you do know that, it gives you a tiny little like glimpse of character development for Angel and to understand what he's wrestling with behind the scenes. So anyway, that's my sermon. Like a little hidden Easter egg. I know. Isn't that so cool, though? And also, Angel can read French. Like, what in the world? My man is deep, y'all. My man is deep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And then we have Creeper Spike over here. (laughs) Watching poor Angel have an existential crisis. (laughs) I just have a question about this scene. How can Angel not hear Spike just screaming? in the other room like he is so loud he's just like oh i feel like this kind of fits his character because i kind of view the way that angel kind of has like an internal dialogue like my dad like true story our whole childhood we'd be like in the car and all of us kids would be like dad can we get mcdonald's please and he'd be dead silent for minutes we'd ask him several times he would not respond he would sit there and he'd be like like just thinking about random stuff and then he would process minutes later and then pull into like mcdonald's like a good 15 minutes afterwards he would like, never give like, us an answer he would never gave us an answer it's so confusing <laughs> my mom's like so that too <laughs> <laughs> and i think i think he legitimately thought he answered us i think that he like he has so many conversations in his head i just think he processed it while he's thinking about something else i really feel like he's like oh they're asking me this but i'm in the middle of like an existential yeah, crisis right. in my head she's like sure and then just yeah. about it. all right and then she's just like oh <laughs> yeah, <there's exactly>. <laughs> yeah and then just pulls in whereas all of us are sitting here like he files it in his queue of things to think about and it finally makes its way up and then he's like okay yes mcdonald's take one at a time <laughs> No, literally. Yes, exactly. But I will say it, it was always so frustrating as a kid because half the time I'd be like, oh, like every time he doesn't respond, we're going to go to McDonald's. And there are a few times where he would le- like either legit not hear us or just like forget. And then you would drive home and be like, wait, <laughs> we thought you were going to go to McDonald's he like every other time. You your toes. <laughs> that has done more damage for my communication with my husband than anything else because if he doesn't answer me, I'm like, I think that's a yes. And then later on, he'll be like, I never said yes. I'm like, you didn't Same. answer that meant yes. It's probably like, who told you that? I learned that in childhood. <laughs> it's so good. Confusing. But yes, Spike is freaking loud. And not to mention he's completely drunk, which we know like for vampires, like their tolerance level is higher. So I'm betting Angel probably smelled him as well. Yeah, it's just like he can't smell him or he doesn't have time hear him for it. He's just or anything. I'm telling you, he's yeah. all in his brain. He's thinking about this existentialistic book that he's been reading, and he's thinking about <laughs> contemplating the meaning of life. No, he's contemplating the meaning of life. He's walking around having yes. a day. And then there's he's Spike like screaming. screaming. He's like literally he's not really even picking it up. <laughs> in the garden. Like- I believe it. Angel's such an introvert and he's such like a deep thinker. So I, re- I really believe this one. I and really also, do. And also, if I had canon, Angel hears it all. And he's just, just like, oh, bad. God, please, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, not him at my door, not him at my door, not him at my door. <laughs> 
Don't come in. Don't come in. I'm too Angel busy. the whole time is just trying to manifest. Yes. He's like, please go he's away. Like, please, 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 please go away. And at the same time, he's like, I don't have feelings for Buffy. I don't have feelings for Buffy. Just like. <laughs> he's like pulling out his crystals yes. and candles. He's like, come on, guys. He's got his sage out. He's like. Saging the room. That's why Spike can't come in. He's just sage shit. Who he's putting into the universe. I am not in love with Buffy. Buffy and I will not be together. Yeah, I am not in love friends. with her. I do not no. think she's sexy. I do not want to kiss her every time I'm around her. Our sexy Tai Chi. <laughs> all, all, all to the sound of screaming and wailing. <laughs> in the background. Spike's like on fire. I know. Freaking, freaking Spike. Freaky Spike's like, yeah, you, you think I'm afraid of you? I can hear his voice. <laughs> Meanwhile, Angel's in bed like, <sighs> he's like, you brainwashed her. I'll show you who's the cool guy. You're going and down. And then he just flops. Like a river, like a pond or something. Like he just. <laughs> I really feel like James Marsters did the absolute most in this episode oh because God, he wanted to come back. Tune in this episode. No, he did. He did. Okay. So here's the behind the scenes of this of this moment with his hand on fire. But I was about so, to say, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So James said his favorite moment of this entire episode was when he lit his hand on fire. So he said, the scene started with the close-up on the hand igniting and Spike opening his eyes and realizing he's on fire and going to put it out in some water. I was like, I can do that. That'll be great. They told me, James, no, this is one of the most dangerous gags in all of stunts. It's an unprotected fire gag. Usually when a character's on fire in film, they're clothed and it's not their skin on fire. It's their clothes that are burning and the actor has many layers of protection underneath so they don't get Get burnt themselves. But with an unprotected gag, you dip your hand in a protective gel and then you dip your hand in fuel and they light you on fire. The gel burns off really fast so you only have about four seconds before you have to put it out or you get really mangled. But idiot James Marsters decided that I wanted that gag to go a little bit longer because there was this wonderful moment where Spike's eyes wake up and he's looking at his hand on fire and it takes him a while to realize that this is not a dream. This is real. And I thought that would be funnier. So I let it go long. We did two takes. I thought that I got away with it the first take, but when they lit me for the second one, it was hell. Luckily, it was the last shot of the episode, and I remember thinking, just get off the set. Just get off the set. Don't let them know that you blew the gag and that you're hurt, because if they find out that you're hurt, they'll never let you do another stunt. And just go to the hospital. Don't go to the medic on the set. Just get out as quickly as possible and drive directly to the hospital. I just remember walking to my trailer, and it was my last day, and so everybody was like, great job, James. So glad you're back. And every single person wanted to talk to me and say goodbye. So he's like, I'm just gritting my teeth as these blisters are forming on my hand. Thanks so much. So, so good to be back. I'm trying to be polite. Meanwhile, my entire hand was covered in quarter and dime sized blisters all over. It was really bad, but I went to the hospital and got it taken care of and they didn't find out about it. Well, now they know. Yeah, well, now they know. (laughs) Because he can't resist to tell people, guys, that was me that did that gag. It was me. (laughs) And then he like busts into the car. And then he pours alcohol in his hand. Oh, my God. He's like, this is all just too much. <laughs> I'm like, you did this to yourself. You Everybody this hates to yourself. peak alcoholism. The world is against me. It's it's Angel's fault. The car is filthy. Like, it's just so dirty in there. <laughs> just, no wonder Drew left him. <laughs> He's a hot mess. But we love it. It's It's very funny to watch. Um, and so we haven't seen the magic shop in a while. It's always fun to be back. Um, this poor girl, rest in peace, 
So he goes in and he's like, he's really on a rant. He's like, he's like trying to think of all these things he could do to Angel. He's like, I'll, I'll give him leprosy. All because he burnt his freaking hand. What a butt. I thought he wanted to put a spell on the chaos demon, but I guess it makes more sense that it would be on Angel. <laughs> yeah, because he said I feel like he's just projecting off. all of his issues on Angel, which makes it so yeah, much funnier. I was like, oh, so he wants to like curse the chaos demon that Drew left him for. But now you guys are telling me it's Angel. It makes so much Spike's, sense. Spike's out there like, Oprah, you get a curse. You get a curse. The <laughs> for you. Boils for you. <laughs> Anybody Drusilla has looked at, Spike's like, I'm cursing you. Anybody. Oops. <laughs> the only one who's safe is Banner. Drusilla made She would him. want you. In, yeah, remember? she came on to him. She was trying no, to the turn spell, Yeah, though. but it was only because of a spell. spell. Spike doesn't care. It oh. all counts. <laughs> and then here's the clerk. I'm hearing a lot of negative energy right now. <laughs> she wasn't wrong. <laughs> she's, the, she's like the voice of reason when you're like super mad and you don't want to like, hear it. Spike with me. Take a deep breath in and out. She has to teach him how to handle his emotions because he's just- Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. He hides in the stacks and then Willow comes in and he's like overhearing her wanting having like a D-less spell. And then he freaking eats this poor woman who was being so nice to him. <laughs> I'm like, man, rip. There's that negative energy she was talking Literally. about. Literally. <laughs> what was up with like that pointy boob statue thing? <laughs> like, I, I agree. They it's kept so hitting on it. Because yeah. like Spike's hiding right there and it's like right there and you're just like, it's looking like, at me. It just looked really weird. And I was like, is that supposed to be like symbolize something? Is that like... Or is it I just think a- it just was a cool prop, and they, for some oh. reason, decided to put it right in eye line where Spike was. Okay. Yeah, huh. I don't even know. And then we cut to the mayor's office, and he's playing golf. I love the little, like, comedic – like, they give him actions that are comedic while he's talking about some, like, sinister stuff. And then he'll crack, like, little, like, innocent jokes in between. He's such, like, an interesting character. Yeah, we haven't really seen like how full on evil. Well, okay, mm-hmm. I mean he was sacrificing babies like two. Episodes yes, but even ago. so, then he was making conference calls. Like you know what I mean? Like they throw in the comedic yeah. stuff right. while he's being evil. So you're like, I don't know how to feel about you. <laughs> you, you, but you seem so nice. And then he's over there, and he's like, Yeah, he's like, it's not the floor, it's me. And you're like, this guy's like really humble. But then he's it's like, like also, <laughs> he does like evil stuff. You're scary. like, Ooh. but then he's like really nice and funny, and you're like, not be actually liking this guy. Can I hang out with him? Like, <laughs> which all those, it almost makes it worse though, because you're like, oh, like you're you're the type of guy where like. I would never, like, if I was a bad guy, hypothetically, hypothetically. Um, I would never work for him because i just been like, if I was in this universe, I would never work for him because it's like, I would not know where I stood mm. with him. Like, I would not know if it was just like a bad day and he just killed me just because. Um, and so we found out in this office while he is playing golf with, what's the, the dude's name? Alan Finch. Alan, okay. And so the, he mentions that he knows who Spike is. They were trying to keep up with a lot of his shenanigans the year beforehand, which I don't think I've ever picked up on that. That's interesting. I didn't even realize that he was like aware of what Spike was doing, that he's back in town. Like, how does he know all these things? Well, I mean, they have mentioned in previous episodes that he's aware of stuff that's happening in town. Like, he knows the moment the trick gets into town. So they're keeping him abreast on situations. And we do know that Snyder was reporting to the mayor about Buffy's comings and goings in season two. So clearly, 
the mayor has people situated in certain places so that he knows everything that's happening in town, which kind of makes him a little creepy. I mean, doesn't just kind of make him creepy. It, it, it is creepy. And then he kind of drops like a little tiny, you know, avalanche where he's like, this year is too important to let a loose cannon rock the boat. Oh my gosh. And then Buffy's fit in this next scene in the mansion. This is one of my, yes. I love this outfit. I love that it's the whole episode. I love that we get yes. so much content in it. I'm like, girl, you look good. I literally wrote that down. I was like, her outfit, just everything. Yes. Yep. Even the hair. Yep. I don't know if I can uh-huh. say this on the podcast, but her boobs look great in that top. <laughs> I wanted uh-huh. to say that too. <laughs> they look all shiny. I didn't know like... if I had to say that. It reminds me of season one Buffy boobs where they used to put her in like, like push-up mm-hmm. bras because it was very like – like, and they're like happy. shiny. Um, like, I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Her skin looks nice. good. Like uh-huh. her skin yes. looks smooth. She's glowing. It's, it's glowing. Yes, I was going to say glowing. Yes. I was like, that sounds it's weird. It's because this it's like the first episode angel. where Angel's in there, like the entirety of the episode. So that's why. Our girl's got to glow. Out. <laughs> Our girl's got to glow. A little bit. Oh my yeah. God. Like, I'm yeah. just <laughs> She's like, we're just friends. The whole episode, her boots are literally in his face. <laughs> She's like, don't look at my cleavage. <laughs> She's like, hey, don't look at me like that. We're just friends. Um, no, no, no. Yeah. Spike's over there like, uh, yeah. He's you're like, oh, for sure. <laughs> Just friends. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Spike's like, yeah, you for sure did not spend 15 minutes trying to pick out that, that outfit been, this morning. Oh, my gosh. Guys, that would have been so funny in the episode if he, like, pointed and was like, just friends. That would be so, – that would end me. <laughs> that would end me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be so uh, funny. Like, I see you. I see you. It's like that emoji of the eyes is what yeah. was like, like just I love that emoji. Oh just the God. elongated oh eyeballs. So funny. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um then Angel's asking about college. He looks sad when she said he mentions or asks if like Joyce knows about them. Poor Angel. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, guys, clearly. Clearly, there's something going on here, but y'all don't want to talk about it. And so, because it's like if you were just friends, you wouldn't be mad at the fact that she wasn't talking to her mom about hanging out with you, you know? So, what I have noticed in the past couple episodes is is it's Angel who's trying to define the relationship. It's Angel who's asking, what are we doing here? It's Angel who is kind of initiating even the physical contact. contact. Like when they're doing Tai Chi, he leans over and he grabs her hands. And so it's the kind of thing where Angel's like, to him, time hasn't moved forward. Like he left, came back, but like he was in a hell dimension. So for him, it's like nothing has changed. He's expecting to pick right back up where they left off. And Buffy's the one who's kind of putting the brakes on. He also doesn't have anybody else in his life at this point. Buffy's his whole world. And so he's literally just waiting around for her at this point. And so I think her asking him like, hey, like why should I stay and all that stuff and him saying – no, you should go. Like, obviously that hurts him. I mean, he doesn't even look at her. He gets up and he walks away because it physically pains him to tell her to leave. So he has to give himself distance. It's kind of a neat contrast to Spike because Spike is over here talking about Drusilla like she's an object and talking about her like she's property and then even saying like, oh, like she needs to come back with me even though Drusilla had told him no and she's the one that friend zoned him and said they're just friends and here's Angel over here saying, as your friend, I'm telling you that you should go and you should leave because it's what's best for you even though that like really hurts him. You know, this that scene really made me come around to Angel because I'm a huge Angel hater 
Um, so I knew you were on the fence, Tabby. I knew it. <laughs> Lily takes every second to talk about how much she loves Angel. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding, Chrissy. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I was like, you hate Angel. Chrissy's been listening to us since the beginning, and like, you don't no know idea. that I've been lying this whole time. Oh, yeah, okay. hold I'm slow. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are Angel stands in the house. Yes. No, he's boring, you guys. He never yeah, speaks. Yeah, he's so hey. boring. He's so deep. All he does is sit around and read books. Oh, okay. my God. He has yeah. thoughts. How dare he? And I love it. <laughs> he's so needy to Buffy. I mean, always giving her space and being nice. Like, oh, my God. He respects her when she tells yeah. him to, like, not do something. Doesn't make her feel bad that he doesn't have sex with her and he can't, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, what a loser. God. Boring. Speaking like of that. really decent people, here's Willow trying to do a delusting spell on Xander oh, without his consent. No. Yeah. Let's talk Violating. about it. Let's see, yeah. like, she should put in the work. You know what? Very like, problematic. She, she should. Like, put in, like, you, magic's not there to solve every little problem that you yeah. have, Miss Willow. It, it's mm-hmm. not. Put in the hard work. Like, uh, oh, I can't. I just can't with her and her little dabblings. It just, it drives me nuts. Cause I feel like she doesn't, she never wants to put in like the hard work, like the humanly, you know, the, the human effort. She mm-hmm. just wants a, a quick fix, super quick fix. It doesn't always work like that, sweetie. Do you guys feel like it's consistent with what we've seen of Willow so far? Or do you feel like this was an out of character moment? I feel like it's pretty accurate for Willow. I think that she feels out of control and I think that we're, like, seeing her kind of, like, wanting control in any way right now just because she's so frantic because she doesn't want to lose Oz, but she also doesn't want to lose Xander. And so I think that her middle ground is making Xander's feelings go away. Um, and so I think it makes total sense. I think that she would use anything to try and get, you know, the guys in her life to stay there. See, I feel like – I feel like – I don't know if I'm right, I'm wrong, but I feel like this is the first time Willow has used magic for her own, like, personal thing, right? Like, I feel like before it's always been for something else. Something's going on. They need magic. Willow steps in or she, you know, she's very enthusiastic about doing magic. But this time it just, to me, it just seemed like, you know, this this little thing that's big to Willow and she just decided to jump in and, oh, let's fix it with a spell. And I feel like we haven't seen that from Willow before. I feel like this is the first time where she's doing magic for her own selfish reasons, mm-hmm. very like blatantly selfish reasons and not because there's something greater that's going on where she, her help is like needed. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, we've seen her do little things, but I think this is the first time that she's, like, going to actually do a spell, like, on screen. Like, we've heard her do things off screen when she's practicing magic, when she's trying to, like, get better. But this is where she's, like, I'm actually going to do something now that's going to affect other people. And this is the first time I've noti- I have noticed where she's kind of arrogant about it. Where she, you know, when she goes to the magic shop and the shop owner or whatever is asking her about the spell and Willow's just kind of very like nonchalant like oh I just I'm not trying to do a love spell I need to do an anti-lust spell or anti-love spell the ingredients are kind of the same right like just very very like you know she's just brushing it off like I'm okay I can do this 
it's easy except you know she's not a seasoned witch she's not you know she's still learning so I think this is the first time I I noticed that she's doing magic like very arrogantly at this in this particular instance I think I honestly never made the connection that she is going to cast a spell on Xander without his consent. I honestly just – that never clicked in my mind. And I was like, this is just as bad as what Xander did in Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. But we never talk about it. I was going to say, like, we ripped Xander to shreds for that episode. Rightfully so. I don't take back anything (laughs) I said. He was taking away their, like, will. And it's like, she's doing the same thing. Like, yeah, her intentions may be good or whatever but like that's her best friend and she's taking away all of his will and all of his choice i'm not disagreeing that this is awful i think this is horrible you should never like take away someone's will i will say though i think this is a bit different than xander's situation i don't think it is as bad as xander's situation because dander was trying to I think Willow's trying to have a delessing spell on Xander so they could be back to normal. Whereas Xander wanted Cordelia to be madly in love with him and then he could humiliate her and then like be really right, disparaging and awful. Yeah. yeah. But also like if you're having somebody fall in love with you, it's like if you do anything physical, that's rape. Like that's that's disgusting. So I feel like there's a lot more harm that you could do with like – the having someone fall in love with you because you could really take advantage of that rather than like the delusting spell. So I feel like there's a lot more problematic stuff that could happen on Xander's end. And even we saw him be tempted by that in that episode. And yet everyone claps their hands by like the bare minimum of him not wanting to, you know, do stuff with Buffy when it's like that's the bare minimum, you know? Although this is awful, like 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 she's trying to gain control in a very selfish way and is using somebody else's free will as collateral damage. But like I think that Xander's scenario is like a bit more problematic in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's not exactly the same, but I feel like it's something that definitely needs to be talked about. And I mean like it's also a little bit disturbing because it's like if Willow's willing to stretch witchcraft like this, what is she willing to do further? Because, I mean, we talked all the way back in our first episode about witchcraft back in The Witch. Like that's like a basic tenet of being a witch is, you know, you can do any witchcraft as long as it doesn't harm someone else. And the basic premise of this obviously is so that we won't harm other people. But Willow is not – She's not considering the ethical implications of trying to control another person's feelings. She's doing this because she feels like she cannot control her own feelings. And that is, I feel like, the deep problem. Well, uh, this kind of speaks volumes in a different direction that I'm kind of viewing it as well. Is like, why wasn't she the muse of this spell? Like, why wasn't her taking her own feelings and delusting it? Why is it that she's doing with Xander's? Was she doing it for both of them, both her and Xander, or is it just supposed to be Oh, Xander? I thought you guys were mentioning just Xander. I, I thought, thought it was, it was supposed just to be Xander. both of them. Oh. Well, if it's both of them, then it's like, okay. I thought I thought it was um just Xander because in that case, it's like – I mean, either well, way. It, yes, but in that case, away. it feels very much like, well, if as long as he isn't trying to make moves on me, like I can handle myself. It feels very like – I don't know. It, it doesn't really sit right with me that it's like just Xander – Rather than just herself. 
she says de-lusting's spell for us. I thought it would go easier if you didn't know. Oh, so I think she was it. planning okay. on doing it for both of them. So that makes me feel a little bit better. But at the same time, still, she's doing something without Xander's knowledge or his consent. So I still think that that's problematic. Um, Willa needs to learn to deal with her own emotions, to own them and take responsibility for the actions she takes based upon her emotions. That's the crux of this entire yeah. problem. So She has a bad coping mechanism and she runs away from her own emotional issues. And then Spike comes in. Good for Xander for learning his lesson in Bewitch Bothering Bewildered and being like, nope, no love spells. I thought that was slight growth, a little bit of growth. <laughs> we'll give him half a star. You may be a cheating bastard. Even he has boundaries, guys. Well, now. He didn't have them before, but at least he's learning them now. Shots fired. <laughs> okay, and then this is one of those, like, really good scenes again in the factory, like, the bedroom, where it's, like, this, like, tug and pull between, like, Spike's, like, twisted love for Drusilla and then obsession and then anger. And then it's just he, like, flips in between all those really, like, well as, like – and actor, like I love watching the scene being like, oh my gosh, like he's really good at this. It's really fun to watch because like in some scenes, I'm like actually kind of scared of him. Like when he's threatening Willow with yeah. like, the, like yeah. the, um, the glass. Um, and Allison Hannigan does such a good job when she's like panicking and she's crying. I'm, I'm sitting here being like, oh, I believe her. Spike's verbiage is really interesting. He says, I'm going to get what's mine. What's mine? Teach mm-hmm. her to walk out on me. What are you staring at? And he says – you can do it right. You can make Drew, Drew love me, make her crawl. This is really interesting because he doesn't sound like he wants to make Drew love him just for the sake of love him. He It's a possessiveness, and it's very similar to what Xander was mm-hmm. asking Amy to do and Bewitched, Bother, Bewildered. I think this one is like a – he actually does want her back, but it's also – because he's evil, there's another side to it as well. He wants the satisfaction, but he also does miss her. I think there's like yeah. both of it as well. He's loving her the best he can. Right. And I don't think Spike wants anyone else to have Drew either. So yeah. kind of like if I can't have you, I'm going to force you to take me, whether you want me or not. I really love when the show kind of has like modern day metaphors and with what they're like explaining because even when he's talking about like her like um being with other demons or whatever then it's like for him like that's crossing line but then it's like he gives her like you know all these beautiful gowns with beautiful girls in them me and so it's like weird because it's like you get like these metaphors of like okay so they have certain boundaries in their relationship um and they can quote unquote have people to eat but then it's like Oh, but then if you're like sexual with someone else, that's like crossing a boundary. And then in this scenario, there's a lot of like the way he's saying things is very um, rapey. Sorry Mm -hmm. if that's like trigger warning, but like um, to like Willow because he's like, I haven't had like a woman in weeks. And then he just like completely forgets about that shopkeeper when he says that. Well, and here's the thing. That wasn't sexual. In my brain, it was like him just being hungry and like in the moment and it was just like she was just a little like bump in his curve trying to get like the curse or whatever. Well, he clarifies. He goes, well, except for that shopkeeper. I mean, within the whole thing, like biting and sex, it's all so intertwined when it comes to vampirism and stuff. And so to him, it's like 
kind of both those things, but yeah. yes, but him and Willow in this this specific moment is different than him with yeah. the shopkeeper. It's like he wants to devour her. Like he wants her. He's sniffing yeah. her neck. He's getting close. The way you know he touched I mean? her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because then she said there will be no having of any kind. Like You're she, right. She knew. She what knew. He she got. She yeah. knew. Yeah. Oh, he's oh. such a creep. <laughs> He gives me the and then he's sobbing. Oh God, I'm so unhappy. She said <laughs> as he rests still <laughs> on, her, on her shoulder. I'm sorry, it's just the transition between so aggressive and like well, I'm gonna kill you to like Drew doesn't love me. It's just so funny. I just can't. And Willow too is like riding that roller coaster with them. She's just sitting there like, <laughs> well, she's trying to survive. She's like, there, there. What do you want me to make for you? A sandwich? <laughs> oh my gosh. And then Cordy and Oz run into the library and you could tell that they like, it's been a while and they've been picking up on the cues. Alexander and Willow are missing. The poor, poor kids. Um, they run in while Buffy is like trying to get her sexual tension out by jump roping. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> After being with Angel. Clearly working <laughs> off some things. She's like, I got all dressed up. I look all good and he sent me away. Maybe that's why she was glistening later because she had a cute little workout in between in the same outfit. So It's that and the sexual tension. <laughs> um, they go to the class. They find the spell stuff. Um, I'm surprised they didn't put two and two together. I'd be like, I'd be reading the page that they had open. I'd be like, what is this page? What what spell like, are they drawing lusting. What's going on here? <laughs> Are it's like just, written out in bullet point, like printed out, like glossed and like laminated. And they're like, hmm, where are they? Of, what happened? Xander <laughs> the feather. <laughs> I think part of it, though, is that the reason why Willow and Xander have been able to get away with this and even because they've been so obvious about it is because people trust them so much. Yeah. And I think that's what's even more heartbreaking is that Oz like just adores Willow and just believes in her so much that I don't think that the idea that she would ever be into another guy has even crossed his mind. And Cordelia loves Xander so much that she's like not even considering the fact that Xander would be into Willow. So I think it's just like, it's so sad, but it's like they all trust them so much. Uh, Buffy tells Oz and Cordy to go find Giles because Oz knows where Giles is in the woods. Buffy goes and calls Joyce, and then Joyce starts apologizing, which is very sweet. I, I didn't even pick that up. She's, like, trying to reassure her. She's not trying to, like, kick her out or anything. I think that she's very triggered by, like, Buffy not, like, wanting to leave or whatever. And she I'm was sorry, like, oh, I don't I'm want her to make her feel like, yeah, she's like, please don't leave. And then she hears Spike over the phone, and then we have, like, dun, dun, dun. Oh, that's right. She didn't uninvite Spike, which I'm like, okay. I feel like that's a huge, like – foresight if you invite a vampire into your home that does not have a soul i'd be calling willow in as soon as i was done with whatever meeting i was having with him and being like okay work your voodoo whatever because i'm not having this guy just creep into my home at any yeah but i don't think she thought he was ever going to come back remember because she was like you get get, like you too and i never want to see you two again like remember so maybe she just thought like she'd never see him again she probably didn't but i mean would you sleep well also, at night? He's knowing there's a vampire? He he also, he's evil. Also, he's evil. He can yeah. easily come back and just kill her. Yeah. Don't trust Spike. Yeah, you're right. That sh- never, girl. Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never, no. never, never. Wouldn't trust him with my puppy. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you tried to eat one in season two, so. Yeah. <laughs> Drew, Drew offered up. one. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that poor puppy. I won't have you feeding me like a dog, Drew. <laughs> 
as he wheels off in his wheelchair. (laughs) (laughs) On second thought, you know what? Puppy was fine keeping that. (laughs) Yeah, Spike's not going to do anything. Oh, my gosh. Okay, the thing that cracks me up at this scene is Spike is repeating exactly everything so funny. just told so Willow. funny. He has to tell the whole story yeah. again. But honestly, I relate with this. When you've been hurt so badly, you're like, no, no, no. You don't understand. You have to know every single freaking detail. I love how they just cut straight to the part where he's like, and then I caught her making out with the chaos demon. Because <laughs> like straight to that point again. And he says, he says, and I said, you know, I don't have to put up with this. And she said, fine. And I said, fine, do whatever you want. I thought we'd make up, you know. He makes it sound like he had so much agency, but in the one he was talking with Willow, Drew's the one who broke up with him. <laughs> uh, uh, he's like slightly changing the story to make himself look cooler. Uh, with Joyce. <laughs> he's a, uh, yeah, he's like, I need Joyce to like me. I love how she's like, she seems very unreasonable. And he's like, yeah, she's out of her mind. It's what I miss most about her. His, his, like, his head comes back and as if he like clicks back in place. He's like, oh, yeah. It was so endearing when she was so out of her mind. And Joyce is like trying to like, hey, like, oh, man, someone I can relate with, someone that can like listen to my – like she starts to try and like share her story and Spike's so self-absorbed. He's like, but this is different. She's like, well, never mind. <laughs> to be fair, I actually get his point here. He's like, we were eternal, literally. I'm like, ah, I'm with you. <laughs> I've shipped you too. You guys are fun. <laughs> you you got any of those little marshmallows? Oh my god, not the marshmallows. <laughs> Don't bring them into this. And at this part, I'm like, Angel, what you doing, bud? Why were you around yeah, Bob's house? That's what I'm <laughs> that's saying. That's my question. What was he doing there? He lurks, remember? He lurks? <laughs> he be lurking. <laughs> the script says Angel walks up slowly to the house carrying the brochures Buffy left behind the mansion. I think he was trying to return the brochures. He really should have showed left. us that. This is one of those situations like, y'all aren't helping my case. This is kind of weird. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Angel here. Yes. It's just strange. Because it, it just was. doesn't make sense because he knows that Joyce doesn't know about him. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Why would so you? So it's like, even if he has these brochures, like, it just doesn't make sense. And he's going, yeah. like, right for the kitchen door. Like, it's just not. They just, like, needed to have Angel there somehow. So they just had him, like, just prancing around in the backyard. But it's like, why are you there, Angel? <laughs> Yeah, and he comes across so aggressive. Like, I know Spike is, like, evil and everything, but he could have been like, hey, um, I got my soul back. <laughs> but no, instead he's like, let me enjoy. <laughs> I know, he didn't my even dad, try. Like, let me enjoy. Like, that would be less, like, alarming. He's like, please, trust me. And you're like, no. You're like, I get it, you're sexy, but it's like, last time I saw you, you were trying to kill us. Like, yeah, you're like, you I took your daughter's virginity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, literally. He didn't even try to be like, hey, I totally understand why you're mad at me. Right. I swear I've changed. If you just want to call Buffy, like, she'll explain it all. She will but verify. I need to let me in. He's like, like a rabbit dog out. running at the door. <laughs> like, freaking out is not the way to get Joyce to be like, hmm, I should invite this man in. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this but man like, looks insane. Okay, put yourself in Angel's shoes, though. Spike is in there. He's got, he's eyeing Joyce's He's having neck, hot cocoa. And he's just yeah. like... In there, Joyce is gonna run out of marshmallows at some point. (laughs) And then Spike is so calm. He's like, he's a very bad man. (laughs) He's 
like, you're not invited. <laughs> and I just like, know, no, yes. Spike is eating up this moment. Everything Doing the that, most. That, An- that Angela stood to him in season two, Spike is taking out on Angel right now. Like, oh he's my. like, loser. Oh, he's yes, so he's bad. like that little kid in first grade, like, you can't get me, you can't get me. And then here comes Buffy, like, Boom. You and Wa'ami. And then Joyce is over there like, what is happening? I thought Spike was on our side. Angel's supposed to be bad. Now you're inviting him in. Xander's a witch. Yes. <laughs> What's going Buffy on? Buffy just needs to give Joyce like a memo. Like, oh, yes. By the way, on the full moon, as will turn into a werewolf. Like, it's got to happen. She needs a memo like every month. Printed. They need a whiteboard yes. that they put in their kitchen where Buffy just updates and go bad side and good side. Angel magnet moves over to she good She walks now. up one morning, erases and says, now has soul. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, you have the clean and the dirty um, on the dishwasher where you like turn it over. Uh-huh. You need something like that good and bad. <laughs> and then he mentions um, or he tells them about Willow and Xander because she was about to stake him. And then. They kind of set up this whole like, oh, they have to be together. Although this doesn't really quite make sense. If I were Buffy, I'd just be like, okay, bye. I'm going to go find Willow and Xander. And then we have this scene in in Oz's car. And I like that they put this in because this makes sense. Although it's like, we've never really learned anything about his smell up until now. But you know what? Sure. Seems like plot devising to me. But you know what? It's okay. It's Oz and we love it. And him. it's Oz. <laughs> If it's Oz, I don't care if it's plot device. Well, they make it okay, okay when Cordelia says, oh, my God, this is residual werewolf thing, isn't it? I think that's very disturbing. And Oz says, I really agree. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is my favorite scene oh, this of the scene, episode. Just, I die. No, my you favorite. Can tell, you can tell David Boreanaz and Sarah Michelle Gellar are trying so hard not to laugh. There's one moment where David almost breaks character when Spike goes – we killed a homeless man on this bench. David Boreanaz does this thing where he turns his head and he puts his hand up to like, you know, pretend to like scratch his nose or something. I would be, this is the exact reason why I would not be able to be an actor because I would be pissing my pants (laughs) if I had to be in a room with someone who was delivering lines like this. Like I couldn't do it. I could not sit there with a straight face. No, my favorite part is right before this. Obviously the whole bench scene is so funny, but they come into the streets and he's like, he gets a headache and he goes, oh my God. And he's like, they're like, what's wrong? Not that I care. Not that I care. And he's like, I'm sobering up. It's horrible. I wish I was dead. And she's like, well, if you close your eyes and think real hard. (laughs) (laughs) Or wish real hard. (laughs) The lines are just great. Mm -hmm. They just both look so just over Over. Like they're just like. They're a whole mood. Like, please, please stop. (laughs) Buffy's like, need him. He's probably just got him locked up in the factory. And Spike's like. (laughs) Definitely not. <laughs> He's like, how the fuck do you think I am? So funny. Oh my gosh. It's Hilarious. just one thing after another. And then the whole bench scene where he's like, oh. And the, the drama. Bench. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so dramatic. <laughs> and then he's like, he begged for mercy and that just made her bite harder. And the camera pans over and they're just standing there and they're like, I guess you have to be <laughs> I really feel like if this episode was three hours long, if they had just layered, I'm a huge whore for like any sort of like joke that just layers on and on. Every time it just gets funnier to me. I don't, I don't, I'm one of those people. Any sort of stupid humor where there's just the same joke but in different font, I think it's so funny. If they had just had like 
30 more minutes of them just walking around the town being like, oh and then here, you know, like him having a whole new, new life. The whole episode is literally just Spike yes. monologuing. And then I'd be like, oh, this is when we killed this family. Oh, you know, like him and being Buffy all sad. And Angel are forced to just dragged along this it. whole episode. It'd be so funny. Angel's like, am I back in hell again? <laughs> He's like, please bring me back there. Please let me go back. <laughs> Angel mentions how Drusilla was fickle after he's like going on this huge monologue about Drusilla. And he's like, You take that back. And starts like <laughs> fighting. <laughs> <laughs> well, Angel like hits him in the jugular. He's like, Lots of trouble for someone who doesn't even care about you. I was true. like, True. It's true. But Angel would know this because he was Angelus mm-hmm. and he had all those moments with Drew. He, even mm-hmm. he can see that she truly doesn't care for him like he does her. He's like, I'm nothing without her. And then and Buffy's like, yeah, that I'll have to agree with. They're both just so done with him, which makes the dynamic so much funnier. And then we have this infamous dialogue. I want this line literally tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> not not because it's like a good, like, not that it has anything to do with my life, but just like, it is just so well done. That'll go along great with your chewed off left arm. Yeah, I know. I look like I've been through a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're just friend. That's right. You're not friends. You'll never be friends. You'll be in love till it kills you both. You'll fight and you'll shag and you'll hate each other till it makes you quiver, but you'll never be friends. Love isn't brains, children. It's blood. Blood screaming inside you to work its will. I may be love's bitch, but at least I'm man enough to admit it. Yes, bye. Okay, what are your guys' thoughts on this whole concept of, or at least Spike's concept of love? I mean, I think that it perfectly sums up Spike's character. I think that every person and stuff, like, loves differently and stuff, but for Spike as a character, I think it makes so much sense. I mean, we see that, like, when he loves, it takes over him. Um And so I think that he's right in the fact that, like, you know, when you truly love someone, it's like, that's not something that you can just be like, let's be besties. Like, no, it's like you're going to always want them, especially if they're in your life so, like, closely. I think that Spike is love's bitch. And I think that, I mean, up until this point in the show, we've seen that, I mean, without getting into, like, we haven't gotten into, like, I don't want to spoil. I don't know. I don't. Want, I feel like I want to say a spoiler, but I don't want to. <laughs> anyway, I feel like a lot of Spike's identity is rooted in who he is in love with, or the, a woman in his life, which up until this point has been Drusilla, and now he doesn't have Drusilla anymore, and he has turned into like Buffy said, a shell of a loser because the one thing that has filled him which is Drusilla and his love for her is no longer there. So, I mean, I think this concept of love is very, it's not, it's not a good thing to be love's bitch because you're kind of just, you're letting it rule you. You're not your own person. Um, And that's Spike. Spike is not his own person. He is being controlled by his love for somebody else. That is, first of all, like, like you guys just said and what Angel said in the in the whatever in the scene, how 
you know, she's fickle. She really doesn't care about him. But here he is, and his entire identity right now is trying to get Drew back. So, yeah, like, he is love's bitch, and it's definitely not, it's not something to, like, write home about, I don't think. He should really take therapy because that therapist in um, Beauty and the Beast really explains it well, and that's how I always kind of view the healthier side of it is, like, Anybody who kind of finds their identity in whoever they're dating because he viewed himself based on the confidence that he got in the relationship. And coming from somebody who like I had like a a long-term relationship when I was like kind of growing into myself when you're younger, right? So you're like 17, 18, 19, 20. And like the confidence you get, especially for me during that time – I didn't realize until after we broken up that a lot of confidence in who I was was based on how I felt in the relationship. And so afterwards, you kind of, especially when you're that like young too, and there's such formative years, you don't know who you are like at all during that time. At least most people don't. And so having to like get out of something like that, you're like, oh, I have to figure out who I am as a person and then gaining confidence in a different place other than people because that's never going to – it's going to go up and down, you know? It's a shaky ground to to walk on and it lends yourself to a lot of heartache and it lends yourself to a lot of toxicity because if you're always putting your confidence and your expectation on other people, it's always going to be disappointing because people are going to fail you. Yeah. I think the takeaway from this is that Buffy recognizes that – she is being hypocritical and pretending that she too isn't a fool for love, that she has kind of lost herself in her love for Angel in some ways. That's what they've been leading up to in these couple of episodes, the fact that she's been hiding Angel from everybody else. Like she's lost a little bit of honesty and integrity through that. And the end of the episode is her and Angel recognizing, okay, we actually have to verbalize our feelings with each other. And we've been kind of avoiding doing that because by verbalizing it, that means that we have to actually confront them. And we don't want to because we know where that leads. Passion of the Nerd says this, and I thought it was just really, really, really well said. He says, if the soul is as Whedon suggests, the moral compass, then without it, a vampire is incapable of moral development. And a developmental process that only grows in parallel to that is the development of empathy. Devoid of empathy, a vampire can't put themselves in the position of their loved ones, can't understand and share in their feelings. Their love is one of consumption only, taking what they want. He talks about how Spike's language in the scene towards Drew is one of possession as if she is a prize, even if it's one he cherishes, versus Angel in the earlier scene where he makes decisions that hurts him but helps Buffy. And he continues on and says, as much as I enjoy Spike's dialogue, it doesn't strike me as he can only express a vision of love that he's capable of having without a soul. He just does it with great passion and poetry because he's Spike. He might be right when he says that Buffy and Angel will never be friends, but as for the rest, I disagree, although it's a great line. Selfless love is both. Spike is driven by blood alone, and Buffy and Angel are trying to manage their love with intellect only, trying and failing. Because if they acknowledged their blood-driven magnetic yang, they would have to account for it and act with greater integrity. The trick is that the presence of a soul doesn't cause a person to act out of empathy. It only gives them access to it. And he kind of shows like pictures of Willow and Xander at this point. He says, in the end, you still have to make a choice or risk making yourself an object in the world at the mercy of your hormones and circumstances. And I thought that was like 
spot on because we see there are humans that have souls making the exact same decisions and mistakes that Spike is making. And they are completely capable of saying no, but they're choosing not to. And instead, they're they're blaming it on hormones and blaming it on lust and something that, oh, we can't control it, so we need magic. And it's like, no, you still have to have a choice. And that's the what the therapist was trying to say, Mr. Platt. He's saying, no, you have to know who you are and be true to yourself and show integrity and responsibility regardless of what your emotions are telling you. And I thought that was super poignant. Okay. My soliloquy is over. That was great. He explained Spike really well. Yeah. He's very balanced. Ah, Sander wakes up. Willow fills him in with the information. And then she mentions and she's like, I figured if I do the spell, he kills us. Or I refuse to do the spell and he kills us anyway. I'd go with the latter only because you could think of something during that time. I was like, girl, think with your head a little bit. Like maybe stall a little bit. Well, and it's like you don't know how much magic – Spike knows, so it's like you could learn a different spell and, like, I don't know, kill him. Honestly, I feel yeah. like both Willow and Xander could have escaped Spike's, like, stronghold or whatever very easily. He's not – I don't think – yeah. <laughs> I don't think he could have stopped them. They're like, oh, no, it's soundproof. Nobody's going to come get – oh, there's a bed. Oh, no, we're stuck Just here. Create, like, what do we do? Distraction. Spike will get distracted by something shiny, and then you can just like, yeah, it's not hard. But also, just wait until he's in there because he clearly can't lock it while he's in there because it locks from the outside. Yeah, take with your brains, people. Or just like (laughs) knock him over the head with something. It's Spike, and he's drunk. Well, you know, you do come in and you have him explain like something that he loves about Drusilla, and that he gets wrapped up in his storytelling, and then you bolt. But, you know, of course, the plot device, the stairs wouldn't fall in until Cordy's over them, you know? So. Ugh, why could they fall in when Spike was trying to walk over them, for Pete's Gosh. sake? Uh, so let's just get to that point. So anyway, they're talking. They end up kissing. But Xander, like, Willow tries to stop it again. She says, we're not supposed to. Xander says, exemption for impending death situations. Like, once again, justifying There's the always kiss. justification, like, though. For him, they're always – yeah. For him, they're always be an excuse to kiss Willow or touch her. They'll always mm-hmm. be. But it's also just, like, even on a friend level, it's like your friend is clearly uncomfortable with the situation and is so guilt-written – but you're not in tune. Like you are purely thinking about your sexual like desires. Yep. Well, and then they play this stupid music over it again. Like this is supposed to be a sweet Stop moment. trying to manipulate me. I'm not into this. Stop playing the romantic music. I don't like it. Y'all are trying to make me like it. I think it's romantic and I don't know why. This is twisted and sick and I don't like it. No, no, no. You're done. You're done. Tom's like, bibbity bobbity boo. You're done. <laughs> You're done. You're done. (laughs) It's like no one wants this to happen. But it's also just so sad because it's like when Oz and Cordelia finally get there, it's like, oh my gosh, their faces. And it's also just like the way that Willow and Xander react is so telling. Like Willow is immediately like Oz. Like I'm so – like moved. And then like Xander is just Xander. Like, I couldn't imagine, too, like, really loving somebody and, like, knowing that they're in danger and thinking I'm going to go save them to walk in on them cheating on me with someone who, you know, I trusted and I thought was their friend, you know? That would just, that would really suck. 
Charisma Carpenter um, actually was impaled on rebar when she was five years old. Her parents had a pool that they were building in their backyard, and the construction was out in the open, and she was playing, and she slipped and fell into the construction and impaled herself in the exact same place. Um, she has a scar there, and so that's kind of where they came up with the idea of impaling her. It's a it's lucky she survived. That's crazy. Okay. They're really cruel for making this seem like she died. Like, re-watching this, I'm just like, what? This was unnecessary. Why are you playing with my emotions so much? Stop manipulating me. You're manipulating me way too much in this episode. It's annoying. I'm like, oh, how cute Spike You're is, done. even though he's toxic. And then it's like – and then all these, like, romantic music when they're kissing. You're like, no, no, no. I Wait a minute. Oh, gosh. I just – it makes me mad. Spike's lackeys show up from season two. Buffy and Angel get roped into it. Did you guys watch Buffy stake two vampires, like shish kebab them at the same time? I was like, dang. Pirates Caribbean vibes. Yeah. No, literally. (laughs) And then we're watching Angel actually fight for the first time, which is super refreshing because this entire season he's been kind of too weak. Spike is just taking out all his anger issues on them. They end up getting trapped inside of the magic box. Angel gets the brilliant idea to get holy water. Then we're more more Cordy being impaled. <laughs> Xander, I can't see you. Lucky her. I don't want to see Xander. She doesn't have to see him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too mad at him. <laughs> All right. And then uh, Spike suddenly starts feeling a little bit better as he wails on Lenny. His lackey starts making fun of him, says, you've gone soft like baby food. <laughs> well, then let's give baby a taste. <laughs> I can't with Spike. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. The script says they come at him. He moves like lightning. He Fs them up. (laughs) Why are you for real? (laughs) So professional in writing. Like, they'll keep us in. They'll understand. Yes. (laughs) And that's right after Spike says, let's give baby a taste. (laughs) I love how Angel Uh. just, like, gets trampled once by one vamp and he's like comatose he can't move i'm like come on guys Literally, let's work a little like harder here <laughs> he weighs more than the door but somehow he's just like under it he can't move like titanic all over again like, oh, <laughs> and then they have to use the dialogue and they're like oh you're not up to your full strength i'm like come on guys baby girl you're like i'm like how many, how many times yeah how many times is angel not gonna be up to his full strength it's getting a little old at this point he used all his strength to try and break into buffy's house when he was trying to <laughs> That's where he saw his strength no on. literally let me in joyce <laughs> joyce please <laughs> Poor Angel. You're a very bad man. (laughs) And then Spike with his little like multiple bounces. Baby like his supper. Baby like his supper. Like he's so extra. He is feeling himself right now. Why doesn't baby have a nap and he like the most dramatic impalement I've ever seen? Oh my gosh. The drama of it all. Okay, but okay, let me just say though, we look over Angel, Angel almost faints. They're both really dramatic. The men in this show are just dramatic. <laughs> he looks over, he almost faints, which I'm here for. Buffy like holds him up and he looks at him, he's like, Oh yeah, you two, just friends. No danger there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, and he's like, you know gosh. what? I'm really happy I came here, you know? <laughs> he's like, sees like bright side. He's like, ah, oh, your friends are in the factory. We're all good. <laughs> I love how he's like 
<laughs> it's just so funny that he's like normal Spike would have been like, I'm going to kill him, blah, 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 blah. Like take this time. But at this point, he's like, you know what? I found what I came here for. It's been fun. Everyone's like, leave. Never come back. <laughs> I love how his healthy version of Epiphany at the end is like, you know what? I'm just going to be the person that she would love with. I'm going to go tie her up, torture her, and then she'll love me again. We're all like, wait a minute. Um, Go back a few times. Let's revisit that a little bit. How about let's like, there's some flowers or some messed up baby dolls or something, but no torture. <laughs> and we're all like, we're so glad you're in a healthier place he really is acting as if he's had a healthy epiphany too right i think what's more concerning is the fact that we know that this would probably work on (laughs) yeah we're like you know what we can't fight with this logic like why wasn't that the first thing you thought of yeah buffy even suggested it she's like all this moping is not gonna win her back clearly i mean i don't think that was what you necessarily suggested but no, I know she's not suggesting it, but she's even telling him, like, this is clearly not what's going to win her back. As Spike leaves, he's like, loves a funny thing. Like, oh, guys, wasn't that just a gas? That mm-hmm. was so fun. And they're, like, keeled over, like, angels practically dying again. All right, guys, this is the wrap on Cordy's character. Um, she's been really fun. I really liked her. So let's all go around and say three different things that we liked about Courtney's character. <laughs> May she rest in peace. <laughs> so cruel. Like, what the heck is the point of this? I was so confused when I first saw it, though. Because I, I thought she like, died, for real. Why are we not, like, on a close... Like, where is everyone else at her funeral? Like, where's Giles? And we just see, like, Buffy and Willow walking through a cemetery. Uh, I'm like, the what? worst people to go to her funeral because, like, Willow is literally one of the people who kind of caused true. her death. And, like, Giles is out of town. Buffy. Oh, that's really so rude. And Buffy, so Cordy's okay. And we're all like, could have led with that one. Yeah, exactly. Right. And Buffy's response is so nice. This This is an episode after everyone gave her the freaking third degree. Like, can can it not be more clear how amazing Buffy is? It's, I swear, the reason why she glows in this season is because everyone else sucks. That's the reason why. I mean, more than that. Except she's for also Oz. awesome. But yeah. She deserves a standing Well, then she says, issue. okay, give it some time and get ready to grovel, Willow. I'm ready. I'm all over groveling. Buffy says, good, you know, sometimes that can really work. And what she's supposed to be implying is, you know, because I've had to grovel in Dead Men's Party and Revelations because, you know, I, I was the one that was doing all these really bad things and I was the one that needed to grovel. And it's like, for the love. Oh, I didn't even love. think about that. Why do we How keep is- acting like Buffy's in the wrong in these situations? It's like maybe 5% and then 95% everyone else's issue. Even in this in this moment where Willow is clearly 100% in the wrong, somehow we have to bring up Buffy's. Ugh, just made me mad. I'm honestly surprised that Xander didn't somehow flip this on Buffy. He's like, yeah, well, maybe if you had never like come into town, then I wouldn't have started Cordelia. And then maybe me and Willow would have dated before I even met Cordelia. And then I would have never cheated on Cordelia. So uh, you're the worst, He's Buffy. like, well, you rejected me. And maybe I would have liked you. Maybe we would yeah. have dated. So this all would have been avoided. So He's like, maybe if your tits weren't out, no one would be looking. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's like completely out of pocket. <laughs> So Buffy's boobs. No, literally. (laughs) Like before they even happened. Well, I knew it was going to happen anyway, so. (laughs) Got to get out of my system anyway. Are you making me feel bad about that? I'm just a man. I can't help it. Exactly. I can't help it. (laughs) I got to have my moments, you know? Are you expecting me to just like be perfect all the time? Yeah, that's what happens. Men are horny and women make sandwiches. (laughs) (laughs) This is in fact life. That's that's every time Xander speaks, that's what I hear. 
Yeah, somehow he turned this around on Buffy and Angel. Okay, charisma really did the most in this scene acting-wise. The poor girl, it was like a different type of pain. Like when he came in, she just was like, get away. Like I want nothing to do with you. No wonder because Xander doesn't walk in and say, hey, how are you? Mm -hmm. Is there anything I can get for you? Cordelia, I'm so sorry. The first thing he says is – they wouldn't let me see you till now, like justifying why he hadn't he been wants there to be earlier. Forgiven. He feels guilty right now. Look, Cordy, I just need you to know. No, 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 no. This is not when you talk. This is when you listen. The like, it's not like a, I care about you. I'm wrong. It, it's like a, let me justify why I did what I did. Yep, yep. That's exactly what he was gonna do. Yeah. Yep. But it's like yep. good for Cordy for standing her ground, but so kindly, like. She's a lot nicer than I would have been. Like she's just I like – I think she just leave. doesn't have the energy for it. Yep. Yeah. I think, I think at that point she doesn't want to fight. I think she just doesn't want to even see him. All right. This scene, Buffy enters in to find Angel. Do you see the way he stands up? He's so happy mm. to see her. He's been like waiting for her. The anticipation, so the tenderness in this scene. Oh, he's like a heart. little – he's like a little puppy stands up. He's like, hey – but, but, you know, you he's are. really boring and I really hate their relationship because it's really dull, you know, so. I literally can't believe you. <laughs> Tabby's just trying to push your buttons, Leia. She's triggering you. Tabby, <laughs> don't do it, dude. I literally just complimented them. <laughs> I still think I'm being serious. I literally I just <laughs> I'm like, I really love them. They're the you worst. You guys like, really? If you didn't like them. <laughs> And then Buffy says, I'm not coming back. And he's, and then she says, we're not friends, never were. I can fool Giles. I can fool myself or I can fool my friends, but I can't fool myself or Spike for some reason. What I want from you, I can never have. You don't need me to take care of you anymore, so I'm going to go. And he says, I don't accept that. David Boreanaz does such a good job with the intensity of Angel's look in this. Like he's almost willing her he's to desperate. stay look. Yeah. yeah. He's very desperate. And she says, you have to. He loves her. He steps forward and she steps back. Oh, my heart. Yeah. I'm like, no, Buffy step towards him right now. Step towards uh, him. Kiss. Kiss. <laughs> Where's your boobs? Build up there. <laughs> you go fix it right now. He looks sad. Angel, there must be some way we can still see each other. Buffy, there is. Just tell me you don't love me. Did you guys know that this is a direct mirror to I only have eyes for you? When Buffy tells Angel and oh, she says, yeah. tell me you don't love me when the teacher's trying to break up with. And he says, is that what you want to hear? And that's kind of the unspoken message right here is if I tell you that, will that make things better? But he, but he can't. He can't. He can't. No, he doesn't. He can't. No, because he is in love with her. But that's her. the that's difference the, between oh goodness, Angel and then woman. something like, who's oh. being the, like taking the ghost over someone else who's speaking. Someone else can say it, but Angel can't. Yeah. He's the worst. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> you poke my heart. <laughs> you know, a real man would say, um, yeah, I don't love you. And then it'd be easier, you know? No, a real man would be like, you're mine. I take what's mine. No, just kidding. My bad. I don't know, don't quite know what you're Not trying right. to say there, Sarah. Can you <laughs> Sorry, trigger. Trigger warning. <laughs> I don't quite understand that one. <laughs> My head a little. I wonder what that parallel is. <laughs> Anyways, no, I think it's I think it's very 
interesting. This moment, I think, is very underrated. It's And it's very worth noticing that this seemingly small moment is still painful for Buffy as she's having to sacrifice what she wants again. Everyone in this entire episode keeps talking about Buffy moving forward, Buffy having a normal life. And she's not been as excited as everybody because having a normal life means nothing because Angel can't be there to share it with her. She can have as normal a life as she wants at this point, like if she wanted to, um, but Angel could never be a part of it. The thing that's keeping them apart is not whether or not her life is normal. The thing that's keeping them apart is the fact that it's the curse. It's the fact that they can't fully be together. And I think that that's the hardest thing about this episode for me watching it is because like – she wants to move on with her life and everybody's so excited for her and so willing for her, even Angel. And she's like, but that's not what I really want. Like, I want Angel. I think – well, I think it's not just that. I think it's the fact that, like, their lives are doomed together. I don't think it really has anything to do with, like, the having fully of each other, you know? Um, I think it's the fact that, like, if she dies young or if she lives her whole life, he's going to be the same Angel and they're not going to be able to have kids. They're not going to, like, have a normal life together. It's just going to be doomed, you know? Yeah. Part of her – and well, I mean, when she thinks of normal life, she thinks of angel, human, them living life together. And so it's, for her, it's, like, not enough to just go off to college and resume normal life because for her, angel and normal life are so completely intertwined. Well, I also think that this is really intelligent to have this conversation at the end of an episode where she's actually thinking about her future. Whereas in all the other ones, she keeps saying, like, I want my life to be with you. Like, I want to be with you, meaning she's not going to – in her mind, she thinks she's not going to live long. She thinks it's going to be a couple years max after this because that's what slayers are like. They die young. And so she's thinking my life, meaning my next couple years, are going to be with you, so there's no issue. Yeah. Yeah. And but so now I think, she's thinking, but oh. now is the first time she's allowed to yeah. think of the future. So she's thinking, holy crap, I love him yeah. so much. We clearly can't be around each other because we will want to be around each other. We won't want to live yeah. our lives together, but it won't work if I have a future. It's just so painful. It hurts. <laughs> it really does. I mean, speak for yourself because I don't really like them. So. Tabby! Tabby! <laughs> but Tabby, you need to Tabby, watch again if that's the case. <laughs> You just don't understand. I'm going to kick Tabby out. You real just fast. don't get it, Tabby. <laughs> You're clearly not paying attention. She's not stable, y'all. She's not stable. She's not stable. <laughs> then people out in California are crazy. <laughs> we're we're used right? to toxic men <laughs> over here. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. She likes her men toxic. <laughs> what can I say? I like my men sane. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> we're getting real (laughs) this montage do you guys notice that everyone except for xander is sitting down comatose thinking about what's going on xander is moving around working what do you think that says about xander (laughs) what's the symbolism behind it Like Cordelia's in the hospital and he's just like, oh, look at this book. Unbothered. And you have Oz sitting in the bronze, like, my life. Writing like a breakup song. Oz is writing all too well out there. Literally. (laughs) 25 minute version. (laughs) No, okay. But I will say, yes, Xander is not sitting down, but he is working, which I feel like is a red flag because Xander doesn't like to work. 
Well, he doesn't so, want to focus on his own feelings. He, man, he should, get, uh, he should make stupid decisions more often. That way he actually works. <laughs> he's actually being productive. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> he's doing Giles' job, so, you know. I just know Giles hates it. Giles is like, Xander, <laughs> I don't care who you cheat on. Leave me and my library alone. He's like, you always put them in the wrong order because you're thinking yeah. about something else. So selfish of you. <laughs> Can Xander even read? <laughs> 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 I would not be surprised. Okay. And everyone is miserable and sad except for Spike. Merrily back to torture <laughs> Drusilla. <laughs> All right. So Spike is singing the song, the Sid Vicious song, I Did It My Way. And he was actually – it was the same song he was kind of half singing when he was drunkly walking through the scene at the very beginning in the burnout dining room in Drew's room. So technically, this song was written by Frank Sinatra – but the version that Spike is singing like along with is the Gary Oldman version when Gary Oldman portrayed Sid Vicious in his movie Sid and Nancy. And so it's like Spike singing along with Gary Oldman pretending to be Sid Vicious singing along to Frank Sinatra's song. Oh, my so there's God. Like many, many layers right there. When this episode originally aired in the U.S., it was followed by an advert for the phone service 1-800-COLLECT in which Sarah Michelle Geller and David Boreanaz offered a prize of a walk-on part for a future episode. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I know which episode that is. Yes. Joss Whedon said that Spike's last scene in the episode was going to lead to a spinoff, and it was a smokescreen for a different series that comes later on. So a lot of people thought there was going to be a Spike spinoff after after this isn't that interesting very interesting and yeah that's it spike leaves hopefully he lives a long and happy life with drusilla she takes him back and you know or long and half to i give up we've been recording too long my brain freaking collapsed on me you know what this is gonna be a very unpopular opinion guys but I think that Drusilla can do better than Spike. Really? What makes you say yeah, that? It's definitely unpopular. Why? I just, like, I enjoy the two of them together a lot. They, it's, like, all great. But, like, after watching, after seeing Spike in this episode, he's just so She's fun. evil, too, though. She is evil, too. But I just feel like she doesn't care about him as much as he cares about her. Yeah, I would agree And I that. just feel like, like, Drew, I don't know, like... This was just a very unattractive episode for Spike, I think, at least for me. He was hilarious. Like, it was comedy, like, at its finest. But I low-key, like, don't really ship Spike and Drew because I think that she can do better than Spike. Like, do you think she, like, needs someone, like, as evil as Angelus? What's our barometer here? (laughs) I just think that, like, she can do... Uh, What do you mean by better? Like, she can do better. Like... (laughs) You mean do better by as in someone that's more evil? More evil? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, like, someone who's, like, not as pathetic because she's... At least, but like, have we also just, like, forgotten he got all his the heart times, broken. But also, all the times in season two where she was, like, taunting him with Angelus in front of him, I really feel like they're both pretty equally evil. Like, yeah, she knew what she was yeah. doing. Because we all know her and Angelus were being sneaky links. Like, <laughs> those two were... 100%. Yeah, they that whole time when Spike couldn't was... walk, she was getting oh. her exercise. <laughs> oh, she, she was. Angelus was BDSM walking. I don't know if you're to say that. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> 
Well, guys, that was our Lover's Walk episode. Thank you so much, Leah and Chrissy, for joining us. We had so much fun. This is an absolute blast. If you guys enjoyed this, then definitely come back next week. We'll be having our spoiler section, and Chrissy and Leah will be joining us then. And it's going to be juicy. We have some good stuff to talk about. For those of you who have seen the rest of the series, you probably can guess what we're going to be talking about. It's going to be really good. Um, you guys can find us on Instagram. You can find us on TikTok, on Tumblr, Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can find us or you can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Definitely let us know what your guys' thoughts were of this episode. Did you enjoy having Spike back? We want to know your guys' thoughts. As always, guys, thanks for listening and we will see you next time.